Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. To attend one of our live shows, head to sparklondon.com. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Best of Spark. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming, guys. We're going to bring on our first guest now. Very good example of the kind of talent that we find in our open mic night. This one we found... At um, Brixton, our Brixton open mic. <laughs> Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage your first storyteller of the evening, Nina. Good evening. Um, so, my story starts with me, age 13, lying on my bed, crying over American travel brochures. This had all started with a food tech project in year nine where we'd been put into groups and then assigned a country. And we then had to, as a group, cook food from that country for the remainder of the term. I distinctly remember one lesson. My group just cooked corn on the cob. Just corn on the cob by itself a whole hour. In hindsight, probably a reflection of our laziness and lack of research rather than any reflection on American cuisine. Um, <laughs> And as part of this research, we also had to find out more about the country itself, hence the travel brochure. So the thing was, um, one of my favourite bits of these travel brochures to cry over was the Floridian holiday homes spread. And these were these um, sort of white cookie cutter monstrosities that I just thought were absolutely glorious. I remember quite seriously doing calculations in my head as to how I'd be able to afford it with my paper round money. And what I really wanted to be able to afford was the luxury package, which was sort of a week's stay in one of these homes, plus on your arrival, you got a hamper. And I just thought, if I get this hamper... I have it made. And so this was where the America obsession was born, through this project. And the thing with obsessions, um, particularly this one, was that they often live primarily in your head rather than in any form of reality. And a prime example of this was I had spent, after my degree, I spent a, um, a summer volunteering at an American museum in Bath. 
And there was one room within this museum that was styled um, on a New Orleans plantation bedroom. So it had this sort of really gaudy red wallpaper, really dark mahogany furniture, and this four-poster bed. And in the corner of the room, they had painted a window. And they'd also painted a scene outside of the window, which was sort of a flowing Mississippi River and these willow trees billowing in the wind. And what I would do when the museum was really quiet and I could be sure that I wouldn't be caught, I would get up as close as possible to this picture and stare out onto the fake scene and imagine that I'd been transported back to the south. (laughs) The irony being that when I first went to New Orleans, I didn't even really like it that much. (laughs) Another one of my fantasies was... I had spent a summer travelling through America on the Greyhound buses and every time I climbed aboard, I willed my mobile phone to ring. It never did, but the scenario was this. It would ring, I would answer in my best British accent and once a conversation was over, um, someone, preferably male, would sidle up to me and go, "Mm." You're not from round here, I. And I'd be like, yes, yes, quite right, quite right, I'm not. Um, and then we'd get married and I'd get a green card. <laughs> um, unfortunately, neither of those two fantasies panned out. So I had to find a different way to make living in, in America my reality. And so after my undergrad degree, which I studied... German and, of course, American studies, I decided to save up for an American studies master's in California at a university, which I always referred to like this. Cal State Bulletin. Always had to be said with that shake of the head. So I spent the next three years mostly living at home and doing mostly shitty jobs because I told myself that There was no point in getting a proper job because very, very soon I would be living in a cookie-cutter, white, pristine house in America. So, you know, it would be awkward to leave a proper job. And at the end of these three years, I'd saved up £10,000, which to this day kind of makes me shudder at just the measly amount of that. Three years living at home, that's all I had to show for it. But anyway, um, I was accepted onto the programme and it was August 2012 that I left for California. And I remember arriving at the airport and being picked up by a van which was taking me to where I was going to stay. And it, it was really just a beautiful day, really warm, the sun was setting. As we were driving along fireworks started going off because um, it was near Disneyland and I think there was a parade or something going on. So it really was like something out of a travel brochure. But all I was thinking in my head was, this is all wrong. It was as if a light switch had been flicked and something that I had obsessed about for about 13 years was now my reality and something with that much hype (laughs) can never live up to it. 
And it had also been my escape for a very long time. And so whenever, you know, I had a particularly shitty job, all I would think was, it doesn't matter because soon I'll be in that nice home in America. But now I was there and I was beginning to learn about the reality. And so the town itself, Fullerton, I described in an email to a friend as one big long road full of fast food outlets which is kind of unfair because it did also have a downtown, which was dead. And the accommodation where most students stayed were these sort of horrible gated communities. The houses looked eerily reminiscent of those Floridian holiday homes I'd obsessed so much about. And so I guess in an attempt to show me more of what was on offer in this region my host family took me to a neighbouring town. And I don't know if any of you have heard of um, a chain of shops in England called um, Mr Sims Oldie Sweet Shoppy. Um, If you haven't, they are basically sweet shops which sell overpriced sweets and have sort of like fake old-fashioned packaging on them. I looked up the company and they were founded in 2004. So there's nothing ye olde about them. And this town was basically Mr. Sims come to life. All of the shop facades were really beautifully painted in a sort of 1950s style, but completely lacking in any authenticity. It was, they looked as if they'd been painted in the last three years. And so I had found myself in this sort of Mr. Sims fast food gated community nightmare. And the thing about America is that there's so many amazing places, you know, San Francisco, New York, loads of small towns that are genuinely authentic. But I had landed here. My poor planning had landed me here. And in contrast to this, The summer before I left for America was actually an amazing summer in England. (laughs) I had fallen in love. I had found a job in London. I, I didn't know what I was doing in it, but it was in London. So I took the tube to work and that was very good. And I was seeing more of my friends. And basically what I was doing was living a lot more in the present and enjoying the present. And so... I decided to go and see some of the advisors there, one of whom told me to listen to my inner voice. And I just thought, I love you, be my friend, but in England. And so I did. I listened to my inner voice and my inner voice told me to quit the course, to spend my last few days in the Marriott Hotel, which was to me the epitome of luxury, and fly home. And... I remember coming back and I felt I felt embarrassed and I felt ashamed but I was also happy and I didn't regret going there because it was only in going there that I could have ever come to this realization that this illusion wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It's been about 2 years now since I've come back and I'd like to think that my sort of balancing of reality and illusion has evened out a bit more. 
I still love America. I, s- I still really, really love it. But it's not an all-consuming thought anymore. And I am living a lot more, although though not totally, um, in the present. But really, for me, the main thing is I'm not spending my Sunday afternoons looking out onto a fake window. <laughs> Thank you. We're glad she stayed. We're glad she stayed. Um, some stories from you. Share your story. Have you ever put yourself in danger and why did you do it? I do not take risks, but I drank a whole bottle of cowpole when I was five. It just tastes so good. Had to go to hospital and have my stomach pumped. Worth it. <laughs> Share your story. Have you ever put yourself in danger and why did you do it? I walked into a car lift as the door was closing because I was in a hurry. What happened? I broke my neck. Have you ever put yourself in danger and why did you do it? Yes, I nearly crashed my mini metro into a lorry. I feel these are all sort of coming from these people here. (laughs) Dangerous drivers at the front. Have you ever put yourself in danger and why did you do it? Yes. Um, I kayaked inexperienced out of sight of all other humans with waves crashing onto rocks and no beach. Um, Well, thank you. Anyway, for your contributions. Are you ready for your next storyteller? Good. Um, Please, welcome to the stage, Peter. Well, hello. Now, I've got a money story for you. Um, And it's important when you're telling stories not to use the punchline the very beginning, but I'm going to break that rule, of course. Basically, about 10 years ago, I had a, a, a savings account, and it had about 60 quid in it, and I, I got a statement in the post one day, and it said uh, £60,060, and I was thinking, what is, what, what? That, it's got to be an error, isn't it, surely? 60000 was just deposited out of nowhere. I didn't know where it had come from at all. So... I thought, no, it's got a bizarre error, isn't it? And they'll, you know, in a couple of days, it'll disappear from from the statement, and uh, it'll be fine. I'll just, I won't think about it. So I didn't do anything, and I just started to slightly worry about it a bit at night, and uh, thinking, what shall I do about this? And I kind of quietly, uh, through a telephone banking, just checked it online, and a week later, and it was still there. So I think, well. Is this money mine? I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. And it, it's a funny amount, 60,000, even 10 years ago, because you can't just leave the country. I mean, it's not enough. It was a million pounds or something. You know, I think, oh, I could go to Brazil or something, never come back. But anyway, I thought, well, this money, it's, it's going to disappear. It's not really my money. But then it was still there a couple of weeks later. And, and I didn't tell anyone. I, w- I was getting really worried. And I think if I tell my friends or my girlfriend, they'll just, they'll just get, oh, let's go spend it. Let's, let's all just blow it all. We'll go crazy. So um, I, I didn't tell anyone, but it was quite a burden. So I thought, I've got to do something about this. I'm getting a bit stressed. So um, I, I've got to make this real. I've got to do this. So I decided to try and withdraw this money from this account. 
I know, I know. I yeah. And um, so it's telephone service. So you you phone up and you give your passwords and stuff. And I, and I thought, well, this is what will happen, right? I'll try and do this. I, I haven't seen. I'm not aware. I'm, I just want my sixty pounds. So I'm just. But I'm just say I phone up and I just can I have the uh, the balance? Uh, I'd like to withdraw the full balance to my current account. And so I spoke to the person. They completely sort of straightforward. No no change in tone of voice. Yes, sir, that's fine. Now we've 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 transferred the full amount to your uh, current account. Great. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, close the account. Uh, great. So um, I looked at my current uh, <laughs> account. It's sixty thousand pounds in there. So I was thinking this isn't right. I was wondering whether maybe the money was actually just manufactured out of nowhere. It wasn't anyone's money. It was suddenly just a gift from the heavens or something. I d- I didn't know what to do. So now I've got this money. I was thinking. Shit, have I broken the law? I mean, have I sort of stolen this money now? I, I don't know what to do. So the next step was, I haven't told anyone, but I've got to tell someone neutral. So I thought, who shall I speak to? So I thought, well, citizen's advice, isn't it, really, obviously. So uh, that I'm not going to go into a citizen's advice you know, branch because, you know, they'll film me or something. So I phone up and just don't give my name. So I phoned up and I said... Um, well, I've got this money problem, and they said, "Oh yes, that's fine. Yes, um, yes, we have a lot of money problems." Um, citizens advice. Well, uh, um, do you do you owe money? And I said, "Well, no, actually, I don't owe money. It's actually the other way around. Uh, this money has arrived, and I, it, I've got, I don't know what to do with it, and it's a bit stressful. What's my position?" And um, and I, I said, "Oh, you will be discreet, won't you?" Oh, absolutely, it's totally confidential here. We, you know, very discreet. Oh, that's fine. Well, um, is it a lot of money? They said to me, and I said, "Well, you know, is it?" They said, "Is it like what a thousand pounds or something?" I said, "Well, you sure you are discreet, aren't you?" And I, and, and I said, "Yes, yes, of course, of course." It is. So, well, it's actually um, uh, sixty thousand pounds. And then suddenly, I heard from the other end of the phone, sixty thousand pounds in this office. Obviously, everybody could hear it. So um, anyway, they sort of gave me some vague advice, and it was all a blur. I couldn't, re- I didn't really know what they were saying. I was just sort of like in this cloud of worry, and so I thought, well, I'm going to do this. So I thought, well, if I could invest it, maybe, or uh, I don't know, or I could go go abroad. So and anyway, I let it, uh, I let it sit in this new this new savings account, different building society, and I'd, I'd also moved house coincidentally, not on purpose, but I just happened to have moved house. Uh, by then, anyway, just planned. Um, so that was fine. And I thought, well, an- another month went by. Two months had gone by, and then I uh, see another th- a th- third month went by, and it was still had this money. And I said, right, this is my money, and then no one's missing it. It's fantastic. Now the clue is in the three months because that's a quarter in a uh, in financial terms. I'm no expert, apparently. Anyway, I was in the I was in Tate Modern, just kind of wandering about, thinking about my millions or sixty thousands. And uh, I suddenly got this phone call on my mobile, and uh, and this woman said, um, "Yeah, uh, this is that, is that Peter? Um, yeah, is that uh, it's about that sixty thousand pounds?" And I just I just almost had started to have a heart attack. I was like, "No, no, it's, uh, oh yes, oh right, yes, so the sixty. I don't know what happened there. Is uh, what what I sort of stumbled over my speech a bit." And uh, she said, and it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry. We, do you want to talk about it now, or, or shall I phone you back later? Oh, phone me back later, please. I was thinking, shall I jump on a plane? What shall I do? I mean, uh, uh, is the police watching me? Is Interpol after me? I, I don't know. Um, so I um, sort of thought about it. I was thinking, well, I've 
got to, I've got to probably give it back, haven't I? So she she phoned me back uh, a few days later, and uh, she said, "Listen, this is a position. You do have to uh, give the money back, um, but we will we will allow you to keep the interest on on the the money you've accrued." I said, "That's fine. Okay, great." So that was uh, all very well, a bit stressful. So I had to write a check for £60,000 and send it back to this building society. And I can't believe you how awful that was. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you just have to write a check for £60,000. So I sent this back and uh, that was all done. I was like, oh, I'll leave anyway. And I accrued a few hundred pounds in interest actually by then because it was several years ago. And um, that was cool, but I'd certainly earned this money. And um, it, it, it was fine. It was, all, it was all done and dusted. It was an experience, but I'd certainly earned it and, and sort of aged a bit so that was fine and then um I, I went back to my old flat about uh uh two weeks later and picked up the post and hadn't looked at it and then i got a, a call from this woman like really irate this time really angry and she said well it's about the 60 pound you haven't sent it uh, we've given you two weeks you haven't sent it back uh we're gonna have to start taking legal action i was like well i've sent it back and I thought, well, hang on, this can't be right. So I opened the post at my old address, and they'd sent me the check back, saying, thank you for your deposit, uh, but I'm afraid we are unable to take it because you have closed your account. We can't find your account details. Extraordinary incompetence. So I had to write, I had to write this fucking check again and send it back again. So and eventually, eventually, yes, it was all settled, but uh, I suppose the moral of the story is you don't get money for nothing. Cheers. Thank you, Peter. And uh, Peter came to our Hackney open mic, which you can too if you want to tell a story. It's on the second Monday of every month. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, please. Give a warm welcome. Please clap your hands, stamp your feet if you like, for Andy. Hi. When I was a boy, um, 
twice a year, we would make the pilgrimage down the N4 to see my, my dad's parents. Um, I used to love my visits to Nan and Grandad. Whenever I got there, they'd take me straight to the shop and buy me a, a new toy car to add to my collection. Nan would cook these fantastic roast dinners with, with everything. And then at the end, she'd offer me a choice of three different puddings. And I'd, I'd always end up choosing all three. And, and best of all, afterwards, she'd take me to the living room, sit me down, and play a game with me called Words Out of Words. Now, uh, Words Out of Words is a simple game. Um, basically, you open the dictionary, and you find a long word, let's say, grandmother. And, uh, and then you've got both got a minute to rearrange the letters in that word to make as many smaller words as you can. So, um, out of grandmother, you might get uh, mode, matron, and dragon, say. Why I picked those words. Anyway, I, uh, Nan was a very bright woman, and she used to beat me hollow every time. But um, for some reason, I always wanted to play again. And my other Nan uh, lived just down the road from us, my mum's mum. And she used to come up every Friday and play cards, gin rummy, contract whist. Sometimes in the school holidays, she'd take me out the shops, down, up the street, as she called it, the village precinct. And she'd give me 50p to buy a comic and some sweets. And uh, after school, in secondary school, sometimes I'd stop by her house on the way home, and we'd sit down and watch Countdown together. Now, is anyone here not familiar with Countdown? No? No, you all know Countdown. Excellent. Well, I'll describe it anyway. It's Channel 4's um, Tea Time Quiz Show. Uh, it's on it every day. It's about 30 years old now. In the early days, it used to be presented by Richard Whiteley and Carol Vorderman. And it's a sort of friendly, good-natured game where an 8-year-old can go up against an 80-year-old and either can win. Just... To remind you, if you haven't seen it for a while, there are three kinds of round. There's the letters game, where both contestants get nine letters that they have to rearrange to make the longest word they can, a bit like words out of words. Then there's the numbers game, where you have to make a big number out of six smaller ones by adding and multiplying. And finally, there's the countdown conundrum, which is a nine-letter anagram. Now, um, this nan, uh, this is my mum's mum, she wasn't quite so hot with, with the words and numbers, but she used to love playing along with a pen and paper, so after a while I joined in. And I found I got pretty good at it. In about 1986, my dad's mum got cancer. And although she was a strong woman, she wasn't strong enough. So in the summer of 1987, I went, up to, went to see her in hospital for the last time. I'd just passed my driving test, so I showed her my car in the car park. I introduced her to my first proper girlfriend. And I told her the news that I'd just been accepted into Oxford University. So even though she was in a lot of pain, um, she was clearly chuffed to bits. Um, sadly, she died a week later. Now, five years later, I graduated from university. And uh, at the time, the country was in the grip of the worst recession, what was then the worst recession since the, since in about 50 years. Obviously, this one's outstripped it. But as a result, even though I had quite a good degree, I was, um, I'd applied for 170 jobs and hadn't even got an interview. Uh, so six months after leaving university, I was back at home, working in the local pub, trying to pay off my student loan. And my daily routine went a bit like this. Get up in the morning, go to the gym, work the lunchtime shift at the pub, uh, come back, put the kettle on, and then sit down in front of the TV. Just in time, as it turned out, for countdown. Now, after a few weeks of this routine, I noticed that quite regularly I was beating both of the contestants. So this gave me an idea. I was quite good at this game. Um, I really wanted to be on the telly. And um, it wouldn't be any problem getting, getting time off work. So I applied. And um, much to my surprise, after an audition in a hotel in Oxford on a freezing Christmas Eve, they invited me to be a contestant. So three months later, I get on the train to Leeds to make my television debut. And I'm a complete mess of nerves, just totally terrified. I'd never been on telly before. 
typical middle-class Swindon boy. And I, I get there, and I'm trembling in the corner, and the production team come over and try and put me at ease. And Richard Whiteley even comes over and says some kind words. But when the lights go down before the first match, I'm still sort of quaking. And it's at this point that uh, my opponent in the first match, a seemingly kindly lady in her 50s, leans over to me in the dark and whispers, I got the second highest score of the series in my last game. <laughs> what? So, I'm being psyched out on countdown. And then she, she, she wasn't finished. She said, and I beat Dictionary Corner. So in other words, she came up with a better word than the experts. Um, so much for the friendly, good-natured parlor game. Um, and it was a really close run thing because she was, she was very good. Going into the last round, I was three points behind. Only ten, ten points left to play for. So the, the final conundrum comes up and the letters are revealed, life grown. Both of our hands shoot out to our buzzers and I must have beaten her by a split second. Flowering, I blurted. I'd just done it. I'd, I'd scraped into the next round. But after my shaky start, I, um, I actually relaxed a bit and uh, did a lot better in the next game. I won that by 31 points, and then the, the game after that by 27, and uh, started to get a bit cocky. Started uh, showing off with fancy words like apaloons and uh, ambrosia, and uh, it, it even attempted a bit of friendly banter with Richard and Carol. Um, so, of course, it was at that point that um, I lost. I, I lost my next game by a point. Devastated, because up until that point, I thought I was in with a chance of getting into the finals because it's based on a cumulative point system, you know, the total number of points you get. If you get over a certain amount, you'll make the finals. Um, and, but then a production um, assistant came over, and the series was nearly at an end, and she'd done the math, and she said, I think if you're lucky, you might just squeeze in. And as it happened, I did. I was going to be the seventh seed. Anyway, at this point in my life, I'd begun to notice a pattern. Leiden School Sports Day, 1977, second. Swindon Battle of the Bands Contest, 1987, Second. <laughs> French degree, 1992. Second. But this time, I decided, was going to be different. I was going to win this thing. For the glory, for the undoubted sexual opportunities. <laughs> but most of all, I was going to win it for my nans. So for the next three months, I, I packed in my job at the pub. I, st uh, I stopped applying for jobs. And instead, I just religiously played and replayed every episode of Countdown. I bought the Countdown Puzzle magazine, priced £2.50, uh, and every back issue, and, and completed every, every last puzzle in them. I bought myself an anagram finder and learned all the nine-letter words, 6,000 of them. Um, I bought myself a dictionary and just started reading it from A onwards, <laughs> trying to learn it. And because the numbers round was the, was the weakest part of my game, I got a techie friend of mine to write a computer program for my Amstrad, um, which simulated the numbers game, and I played it 50 times a day. So three months later, I was about as ready as I could be, um, except I'd only got up to R in the dictionary. So I turned up in Leeds, and um, just as well I was prepared, because if I was going to win, I would have to meet the second seed, then the third seed, and then the first. But as it turned out, my training paid off. I was on fire. I won the semi-final by 20 points, and uh, sorry, the quarter-final. The semi-final against the third seed was a bit closer, but still a pretty comfortable margin of victory. Just before the semi-final, I asked Richard if I could say a few words, and he said, sure. So after he'd introduced me, I gave a short speech about how um, it was my nans who got me into word games and how I, I would never have been there if it wasn't for them, which the audience thought was very sweet. Sadly, uh, not sweet enough for me to become the favourite in the final. I thought I would be the overwhelming audience favourite, uh, being, you know, passably handsome, 23-year-old man, um, 
tried fancy words, good at banter, the gallant underdog. Um, unfortunately, my opponent in the final was an even younger, handsomer man. His name was Andrew Perry. He was from Farringdon in Oxfordshire, and he was 11 years old. <laughs> he was a child prodigy. He was the junior national Scrabble champion. He'd annihilated everyone in his path before. Um, but he was so winsome and lovely and polite, and he had his blonde hair all over his angelic little face. So I was in a no-win situation. Like, if I lost, I'd be a laughing stock for the rest of my life. But if I won, people would just say, oh, congratulations on beating an 11-year-old. Still, I knew which of the two outcomes I preferred. And as it turned out, it wasn't much of a contest. I think that finally um, his nerves got to him. Uh, and after three or four rounds, I was about 30 points ahead, and he, he couldn't catch up. So I, I won. And then I just remember, as I left the studio afterwards, hearing this, this little plaintive voice crying out, Daddy, what does pleurisy mean? Bless him. Um, so after my victory, I, I went straight to the phone, called mum and dad, gave them the good news, and then I called my nan. Hi, nan, I said, I've won. She said, I know you won. You're going to be in the finals. No, no, nan, I've won the finals. That's it, it's over. And she said, oh, don't be silly, darling. They're not on for two months. And then she hung up on me. Um, so I didn't have the heart to, or the money, in fact, to, to phone back and explain. Um, but two months later, when the show went out, she was the village celebrity. She, uh, she went up the street and she spent the whole day just boasting to all her friends and anyone else who would listen about how her grandson was the champion of Countdown. And uh, she called me that night and, uh, and said it was the proudest day of her life. And then that night, that exact same night, um, quietly and suddenly, in the middle of a rainstorm, she had a heart attack and died. <laughs> so a, a week later, it was her funeral, and uh, my mum took me to one side in the Garden of Remembrance and, turned, and she asked me a strange question. She said, what was your nan's name? Um, I had to think for a bit, because I only ever thought of her as nan. Uh, I said, oh, it was Rose Martin. Why? And she said, think back, what was your final conundrum? And suddenly it twigged. I, I twigged. I couldn't believe I hadn't noticed it at the time. The, um, the absolute very last round, uh, the, the final conundrum, the nine-letter anagram, the word that they'd, we were supposed to get was rainstorm. But um, they rearranged the letters to spell out Martin Ros. <laughs> so that's my story, thanks. Um, I want you to all uh, put your hands together for all the amazing storytellers we've had tonight. We had Nina, Peter, Andy and Chris. Do take the opportunity to come to one of our open mics in Hackney and Brixton, as before mentioned. Um, do take the opportunity to like us on Facebook. We're Spark LDN. And if you want to follow us, we're going to the bar. See you there. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.